Hello and welcome back to Tuesday at Dobbs's. You'll notice I'm in a different situation this week. That's because I'm currently down seeing my parents in Cornwall. They live in the middle of nowhere, Upper Lane. So apologies if I look slightly awkwardly over at the door because a Harley Davidson Sport Glide is meant to be picked up any minute now. And of course, because I'm dog sitting for my parents while they go over to see family in Ireland, there's a dog somewhere and Basil the dog, he sometimes comes in, gives a little wine, lets me know that he wants some food or just wants to go out for another toilet break. So apologies if I'm constantly leaning over and looking. I have to try and do my dog sitting duty and also getting on with the podcast, which I absolutely love to do every week. Woodford Reserve. I thought I'd try some of this whiskey, a bourbon from Kentucky. And this is a very special bottle, actually. I had a little bit yesterday and it's so delicious. Nothing needed with it, not even ice, exquisite. Let's get to it. In fact, let's get to it. Just before I start, thank you so much, everyone, for sharing all your thoughts and comments. Please do continue to do so. Comment section in the YouTube thread is the best place to do it because it generates conversation and discussion, agreements, disagreements, etc. It's brilliant. On top of that, you can email hi at tuesdaydobs.com if you've got longer stories and pictures. And finally, tuesday underscore at underscore dobs on Instagram. I begin selling bigger bikes. This leads on from the difficulties a few people have mentioned about selling bigger bikes and taking that financial hit when you actually do end up selling it. Because often the more expensive the bikes, the harder and the faster and the further they have to fall. I begin from Stephen in County Down, Northern Ireland. Freddie, on the subject of difficulties of selling high value bikes, it's not only the big bikes that are suffering. I've had my 2020 Royal Enfield Himalayan advertised for several months. It has only got 300 miles on the clock. It's as mint as factory fresh. It's got all the accessories that you'd want, hard panniers, heated grips, handguards, etc., etc. But apart from a few morons offering low ball bids and swaps for 20 year old jet skis, nothing. The economy's in a mess, many are struggling. So. Is it our stuff, whatever it may be, and is it worth less? Do we have to bite the bullet and take a lower price? Or should we take a step back and think, why did we buy that bike in the first place and just enjoy the freedom and the fun that's sitting in our sheds? Uh, I agree with you, Stephen. I usually, in fact, usually, I always buy a vehicle accepting it will be worthless by the end of my time owning it. That's twofold. One is that I don't look after vehicles, but secondly, I like to think I'll keep a vehicle for a long time. I never like owning a vehicle, whether it's a car or bike and thinking, I must keep it pristine so I can sell it for the same amount that I bought it for. No, I want to think I'm going to enjoy it. And if I want to smash it up and wreck it, that's fine. And I'll accept the fact that it may be worthless at the end of it probably hence why I usually buy cheap vehicles. I move on to Alan. Freddie, it's quite simple really with regards to selling higher valued motorbikes. If, if you go, let's say over 15,000 pounds, over the 15,000 pound mark for a used bike, those that can spend that sort of money will go new. They'll just buy a newer bike. 
So if you're selling a 15,000 pound bike secondhand that used to be 30K, many of the people who can pay 15K for a used bike will often think, well, look, I may as well just spend a bit more and get a bike straight from Indian or Harley Davidson that's got the full warranty. I continue from Alan. If you come down to the 10,000 pound mark, however, you get into the group of those buyers that love their bikes and are wealthy folk. However, when you then get down below the £10,000 mark, you will always, always sell your bike if it's worth that kind of money. I'm not wishing to sound like I know it's all, but it's true. Alan, I do probably agree. It's that magic level below the £10,000 mark that you always sell a bike without issue. I always notice that when I look at the, the classifieds. If a Harley, an Indian, these bigger purchase bikes can just drop below that 10k mark, it makes the world of difference. With me as well, when I'm looking at bikes, I often look at used Harley Davidsons and the closer they can be to that £10,000 mark, that's really the point in my mind where I can justify, oh, I could just about afford that, but if it starts getting to 13K plus, 12K plus, it puts it slightly, at least in my mind, out of my, out of my bracket. I move on to Shah Khan. Freddie, I'm involved in purchasing secondhand motorcycles. This is interesting from a shop in Germany, and there's a limit to what our customers are prepared to pay. The buyer for our style of shop, or the buyers for our style of shop, have shown a or have shown to have a limit of roughly twelve thousand five hundred euros. After that, the difference to a new bike is just too close. Our experience has shown that bikes like Tony's Indian Chief from last week would be near to impossible to move in our little business. However, if I may make a recommendation, Tony's chances are better when offered for part exchange to a dealership bought or dealership selling both secondhand cars and motorbikes. The reason being, nearly all buyers interested in an Indian Chief can afford or can usually afford the new price and wouldn't want to make a compromise on warranty, especially once they're confronted with the mileage. We stick, as a dealership, mainly to Japanese manufacturers and I ride a Honda VFR 750F from 1997, which only has 65,000 miles on the clock. Shah Khan, it's interesting that. Very interesting from a dealership's perspective, what actually sells. I move on to S2000Y. Freddie, the Indian chief, I've just checked, the Indian chieftain, sorry, only 36 of these, and I will take your word for it, only 36 of these in the UK, plus 11 on Sorn, statutory off-road notice. Meaning, in total, there are 47 Indian chieftains registered in the UK. Apologies, I haven't fact-checked this, so I'll take your word for it. And of those 47, 11 are currently off the road. What does that tell us? Well, S2000Y says, to finish it off, there is your answer for why it's not selling, i.e., they're never hugely popular bikes. They're incredibly niche. And the market you're appealing to, trying to sell a big Indian, is 
relatively extremely small. I move on to India. This is a lovely insight, actually. This is from Abhimanyu. Hello from India, Freddie. I started motorcycling shortly after I turned 33, just before the pandemic. Thanks to a few dear friends I've grown closer to over the miles we've covered together on the road. I upgraded to a 125cc automatic scooter to a Royal Enfield Continental GT650. One of the things I appreciate most about motorcycling is setting out from my doorstep and exploring parts of my home state of Karnataka. We, in fact, as I talk about this, here are Abhimanyu's pictures of his rides going around India. It's brilliant to hear from different, different cultures, different nationalities in the way they bike. I continue. We enjoy generally mild weather throughout the year and enjoy exploring stunning hills, valleys and forests within a couple of hundred kilometers in any direction. I've included a couple of pictures here. Most motorcycles are generally equipped in India with small capacity engines and designed for fuel efficiency and low price points. Arguably the most popular motorcycle in the country is, it's a bike I've never heard of before, the Hero Splendor Putt Plus. It comes in at just under eight horsepower and a price tag of, brand new, in pounds sterling, 700 pounds. As much as I've enjoyed the thrill, now this is interesting, as much as I've enjoyed the thrilling rides on my GT650 Cafe Racer, it was an unwise choice, given that I'm more inclined to touring than blasting around the city. As a result, oh, it's exquisite. As a result, I'm now considering trading in that for the Triumph Speed 400, which has less power and torque, but is 50 kilograms lighter. And this allows for an upright seating position. I wonder how most riders manage heavier bikes, let's say 220 kilos and above. Is it simply a matter of experience and better technique? I wonder if my annoyance with the GT650 can be solved by better or solved by learning to ride better. Best regards, Abihanyu. Abihanyu, first, I should say, thank you for the insight. And secondly, what a brilliant attitude you've got. Looking at yourself, can you improve to make your riding experience with the GT650 more enjoyable? From my point of view, having ridden the GT650 and also having ridden the Interceptor and comparing that to the Bonneville and the likes of the BSA Gold Star, there's nothing you need to do, I would say, Abahanyu, to improve your riding skills at all. It is as simple as different bikes suit different people. And I'll give you an example of me. If I were looking for a different bike to replace the Bonneville, I wouldn't specifically myself pick the Interceptor. And that's because the Interceptor is very top heavy, just as the Continental GT650 is. The exact thing you mention. The Bonneville is easier to ride than the Continental GT650, despite the extra horsepower and the extra or a similar weight. And that's because the Bonneville's weight is all low down. In fact, I'm going to push it a bit further. A lot of Harley Davidsons, I find, are easier to ride than the Interceptor 650. And that's because the weight of the Harleys, despite being 100 kilos more than the Interceptor and the Continental, the weight is so low down and the seat is so low as well. It's 
a more reassuring riding position. So with the Interceptor, the Continental, you get almost the worst of both worlds. You get a high seating position with a high center of gravity. And I'm also, Abahan, you probably a bit like you, I prefer lower center of gravity and a slightly lower seat height. So there's nothing you need to do as a rider, but it's just because you've only recently started riding, figuring out the best kind of bike for you. And if you prefer, you've got a preference to a lower center of gravity, look at the BSA Gold Star, look at a Bonneville as well, or if you need the smaller displacement for India, then that's a huge weight saving. I actually didn't realize it was that much. The Triumph Speed 400, you will, I'm sure, if you favor lower center of gravities, that will be a revelation for you when you try it. You'll find it infinitely more flickable and easier to live with on a daily basis. Abahanyu, thank you so much. Happy riding. I move on. Mick from Hungary. Freddie, I like most bikers, like to scan through the classifieds every now and again, just to see what's out there and what I'd buy if money and space wasn't an issue. Yeah, Mick, I know what you mean. I get told off by Monica a lot for wasting time looking online at bikes. And I also get actually quite a bit of hatred from people saying, Freddie, stop talking about bikes you're looking at. Either have the guts to buy one or just forget it. In fact, I actually had someone, I love this, someone said to me a few weeks ago on the podcast, I almost read it out, but Monica said it was too ridiculous. They said, Freddie, put your short arms in your deep pockets, take the plunge and buy a bike. I continue. Once in a while, a bike stands out that seems to be a real bargain, or some would say cheap, especially used. I was wondering if you'd ever come across the Benelli Imperiale 400 and what your thoughts are on it. Could it be an alternative to the Royal Enfield Bullet 500? Looking at the reviews on YouTube, the Indian market seems to love them, which can't be a bad thing. There are some good reviews out there from UK testers, none really slate it. The biggest problem seems to be with the design and strength of the foot pegs. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Mick, I've, I've heard of these a few times. I had a German rider who messaged last week. I almost read it out last week, actually. He said he sold his BMW for a Benelli and he toured around Europe on it, but he found the quality wasn't quite there. So much so that he ended up selling his Benelli and moving back to BMW. Now that's just a one-off case, but it's coincidental that I wanted to read it, out, read it out last week and it came up this week as well. So I thought I have to touch on this. I spoke about Benelli a few, a few weeks ago. Let me, put, let me put their website up here because I think their, their marketing is, is really, really bad. They've got a lovely looking product. The Imperiale 400 looks brilliant, but this website is just not the kind of website and not the kind of marketing that makes me want to think I want to go out and buy an Imperiale. Excuse me, there's a, a spider that's literally just started making a cobweb over my head. The, uh, it, it's just not the kind of website that sells me the dream in the way that Royal Enfield sell a dream with their, their online marketing, their presence. So the bike looks brilliant. I think it's Chinese made, but that doesn't have to be a bad thing. The proportions are beautiful. I also think it's quite a unique looking bike as well. And the price is £4,000. And that's a seriously competitive price. 
On the face of it, there are very few negatives. I'm looking, they even give very competitive finance packages. Very competitive, maybe that's pushing it. They give finance packages. I can go out and I can buy one for £69 a month. Spoked wheels, pea shooter exhaust, lovely relaxed riding position. It looks like a really good bike. The only thing with me, Mick, with this, Chinese built bikes can be hit and miss. So it's, it's really a bike that I feel I'd need to go and test. Example, if I go out to a Royal Enfield dealership, I almost don't need to test the bike. I know they're going to be good bikes. The Indians now, they build such good bikes. I, I will know a, a BSA if they bring out a Scrambler, for example. I know that's going to be a good bike. I know any Royal Enfield coming out is going to be a good bike. But the Chinese bikes, they are more hit and miss. I can almost, not always, but almost feel, if I get on a bike, hide all of the... The, the artwork, the marketing, the brand logos and stuff on the tank. Hide all of that, put me on a bike, and I would say that 80% of the time I can tell if it's a Chinese-built engine. And bear in mind, I am no expert on dynamics and engines, but a lot of the time you can tell. I could feel that especially on the Fantic Caballero. So you'd need to test it to see how you feel about the quality. And there's one more thing, Mick, I'd mention here. And that's with regards to marketing. I don't think Benelli do a good job marketing. And a few people have also mentioned, Freddie, where's BSA gone? They've brought out the Gold Star, but nothing has been heard of it since. I haven't seen it enough since its launch out on the internet, out on YouTube, on Instagram. I think they need to push it much, much more because out of sight is out of mind and people are starting to forget about the BSA. BSA needs to step it up and Benelli, I think, need to probably step it up. Let me move on. BMW. I had to get back onto this because there were so many fascinating discussions about BMW. Have a listen to my favourite three and thank you everyone for sharing these. This is from Jed. Freddie, I worked for BMW head office in the UK, albeit 30 years ago. Fantastic company, eminently professional, but I will always remember they made more money on the servicing and repairs than selling their vehicles. Moreover, their reliability stats behind the scenes were surprisingly poor, to my mind at least. That said, I remain very, very fond of them. Great company. I move on to Alan. Freddie, any bike will last... Oh, I love this. So many people said this. Uh, this is from Alan. Freddie, any bike will last forever, just like Trigg's broom from Only Fools and Horses, if you change every part or spend, uh, or spend what a new bike costs to repair. With Japanese, you just don't spend, and most, if looked after, will cover well over the magical 200,000 mark. Alan, I'd say 100 is a magical mark, 200. And I do know the Japanese bikes would do it. It's incredible. My silver wing is at 35,000 miles and so, so old, it makes me feel young. Anyone who's not British may not get the reference here. It's been a while since I watched it and I didn't read up on this before the podcast, so apologies, but I know my dad loves this. Only Fools and Horses, there was a character called Trigger and what was it? I think he was asked by someone or he said to someone, ah, oh, this broom is brilliant. I've had it for about 30 years or so. And the conversation carried on. He said, yeah, all I've had to do is just change the brush at the bottom and the handle a few times, i.e. 
well, it's not, it's not your original broom. You've changed the handle, you've changed the, the brush on the bottom. So everything's been changed. It's now no longer, even 1% of it is your original part, is your original bike. And that's in reference to BMW. Yes, they can go on forever and ever, but do you have to change every part in them? And I will wrap up this BMW discussion with Bryant English TV, because this, this wraps it up quite nicely. Freddie, I have a different theory about why BMWs last 120,000 miles. And I will use my car to explain it. Three years ago, I bought a 2005 Vauxhall Vectra for 575 quid. And I drove it from the UK to Portugal where I now live. I was shocked to discover that the same vehicle in Portugal sells for between 3,000 and 4,500 euros. So I matriculated it to Portuguese plates and it's now my daily driver. Last year, the clutch needed replacing. In the UK, I would have scrapped it, but here in Portugal, it was worth replacing for 1,200 euros. Let me just interject here. 1,200 euros is absolute insanity. I mean, it's not Brian's fault. It's just the fact that Vauxhall could make an affordable car where you need to spend that amount on changing the clutch is just insane. It really annoys me when simple brands make such expensive bits to be replaced. It should all be affordable. I carry on. It was worth replacing the clutch for 1200 euros because the value of the vehicle and the replacement cost. Here endeth the lesson. Excuse me. Got a call from the Harley delivery driver. He'll be here in an hour and a half, so that's the end of my time with the Harley. Let me carry on. One more, this is from JB, just about electric vehicles. And I wanted to just wrap it up here because I know I said I'd wrap it up last week, but this is with regards to what I would personally buy if I had to, from JB in Scotland. Freddie, if you had to own an electric bike, what would you own? Assume you could charge the bike easily and affordably and it'd be only your urban cafe stop hopper. For me, electric vehicles or EV bikes are lacking on style or ridiculous money from boutique producers. So for me, the only modern collectible classic EV has to be the Harley Davidson Livewire. The first ones that were badged HD. JB, Scotland. JB, good to hear from you again. I will, JB, actually disagree with you on that or, or pick a different option. The reason I pick a different option and not the live wire is because if I'm personally looking for an electric bike, I know that the range is too small to do any touring on. So that removes all of that. I also know that I can't go too far on it without having to charge, meaning performance for me is in essence meaningless. So all I care about with an electric bike is something that looks cool. It's as simple as that. I'm going to be going to the coffee shops and no further than 35 miles away because I need to make sure 35 miles there and 35 miles back home, 70 miles to be safe because I cannot be bothered to look for charging points. 
And that leaves me with two bike manufacturers that I think make cool looking electric bikes. Number one is Maving. Let me put a picture of that up here. I'll do this first, Maving RM1. This is a 5,000 pound e-bike or you spend 6,000 pounds, so a thousand more, and it goes from a 40 mile range to an 80 mile range. But let's, let's be realistic and say the 80 mile range, maybe 65 miles or so. So it's perfect for city use. It's got a 45 mile an hour top speed, meaning that even dual carriageways are off or out of the question. It is a pure city bike. But here's the key thing, JB, for this. Number one, it looks really good in my eyes. And secondly, it's got removable batteries. So if you only go for one battery, you just have one side where the side flips open like that, take the battery out, carry it upstairs if you live in an apartment or a house, and that's key, and you just plug it into a normal wall socket. Plug it in at the end of the night, wake up in the morning, commute to work, unplug it, put it in, head off. That's the game changer for me. And it's 6,000 pounds for, for two batteries, one on either side, so 80 mile range. I think that's acceptable. I could even probably get away with just one battery. So you commute to the office, not that I do, but you commute to the office, let's say it's 20 miles, plug it in next to your desk or next to wherever you may be, and then you just unplug it at the end of the day, take it out, brilliant. The other one is RGNT, that's a Swedish brand, and their number one classic SE. Now this is faster, top speed 120 kilometers an hour. And it's got a range of 148 kilometers, which is probably about 80 miles or so. So almost exactly the same as the Maving with regards to range. Charge time, 20 to 80%. So 60% increased charge is three hours. Now I like the look of this, but the problem for me is it doesn't have removable batteries. And that's why if I had to, I would pick the Maving RM1. Dual batteries, because I think that would just suit my situation perfectly. The only problem is it's only got one seat, so I'd have to sort something out about that. But Maving, I think, I think JB, I'd go for that. I move on, Japanese bikes. It always comes back to Japanese bikes. If you want to be sensible and level-headed, if you want to buy a motorbike and you're thinking rationally, then I can see almost no argument against anything other than a Japanese bike. A any argument at all. And I think 95% of people would agree with me on this. Let me share a bit of insight. Devil's Reject, Freddy by Suzuki, they're all fantastic bikes. And Suzuki have a vintage parts catalogue. I didn't know that, a few people have said that. Bear that in mind when you're looking at bikes, Suzuki. Vintage parts catalogue. On to Santana. Freddie, if you compare the Japanese bikes and Japanese cars, or if you compare Japanese bikes to Japanese cars, Honda would resemble Toyota. My brother-in-law sold Toyota cars and came to a massive conclusion that he could lay off. This is incredible. I read this just this morning. So, Listen to this, my brother-in-law sold Toyota cars and came to a massive conclusion that he could lay off most of his workshop staff as Toyotas were so reliable that customers rarely came back to his dealership or he could keep people employed and switch to a slightly less reliable brand. He changed to Nissan 
All of his staff are still employed and not too many problems for customers. The key is not too many. Plus, my brother-in-law could sleep at night because his workforce was still employed. That is a fascinating insight. I move on to Dave. I think longevity and reliability have reduced in most products over the last 20 years or so. The focus is more on the aesthetics and the dynamics of a product rather than how long it will last. For me, the pinnacle of motorcycle quality, engineering and reliability was the Honda Blackbird, along with the likes of the Honda VFR. Even though early Blackbirds are now 26 years old, you, relatively, uh, you see relatively few being broken for spares, as with basic maintenance, they'll do 200,000 miles easily. My 1998 Blackbird has 60,000 miles on it and runs, rides, and looks like it's just rolled out of the showroom. Dave, let's have a look at this. Honda Blackbirds. What year did you say yours was? 1998. Okay, let's have a look. So much bike for the money. Without looking too much here, Auto Trader 1998 Honda CBR 1100 XX Blackbird. I mean, 51, they're such good engines. 51,000 miles on the clock, second one 59, third one 46, fourth one 45. Let's look at this 1,990 pounds for 98 Blackbird. They still look good. And it's 162 horsepower. This one's taken in part exchange, all in black. It's a lovely, lovely looking thing from a dealership as well. Under two grand for so much bike. Moving on. In fact, let me wrap this up here. Japanese with bike of the week. I'll do it a bit differently this week. I'm going to do a bike of the week as a brand new bike. Because just like the V-Strom, V-Strom 650 last week, I think, in fact, I'm certain this is exactly the same engine. Same engine, different model. This is from Grant. Freddie, I've just bought a brand new Suzuki SV650. Same engine as the V-Strom, of course. I paid, well, I don't know how you did it, Grant, but I paid, quoting from Grant, 5,990. I think they're now retail 6,999, but you may be able to get a bit of a discount. So that's a great deal. I paid 5,990 with the first two years servicing for free. It also came or comes with three years manufacturer warranty, extendable. This is incredible. Extendable up to seven years or 70,000 miles simply by having it serviced annually at a Suzuki dealer. Suzuki are are pushing the bike industry on to, to levels of the car industry here. And it just shows, I'm, I mean, some bike brands, I think BMW do three year warranty, but a lot of them I'm sure still just do just two years warranty for new bikes, which I think probably isn't good enough at all. It's incredible seven years warranty. Let me quote here before I get onto the stats for this bike. This is from Suzuki's website, Suzuki Warranty. Your new Suzuki will not only benefit from our three-year warranty, but in addition, our service activated warranty that covers you through to your next service 
every time you service with us until your bike is seven years old or reaches 70,000 miles. So just keep servicing it with Suzuki and your warranty will continue and extend for seven years. Let's have a look at the stats. It's £7,000 to buy one, brand new. Let me just get this up here. Let's have a look at this. Suzuki, SV650. You know what I love about this bike? Suzuki aren't trying to reinvent the wheel here. This bike looks incredibly similar compared to when it came out years ago. I can't remember exactly how long, but it's, it's a long, long time ago. I think it's over a decade ago and they've changed almost nothing. The frame looks the same. I'm sure the engine's the same, but they've just slightly tweaked it. Beautiful color frame, lovely color tank, and it looks perfectly modern enough now, completely stripped back with a circular headlamp. It's refreshingly old school and simple. Very elegant looking thing. I continue, it's 75 horsepower from that, and a V-twin as well, so characterful. 75 horsepower, V-twin, wet weight, 198 kilos, so it's light as well, and standard with a three-year warranty, assuming you don't service at Suzuki to extend to seven years. 69 miles per gallon. Now, if you can stretch to 7,000 pounds, if you've got that in your bank, brilliant. But you can also get it on PCP. That's 148 pounds a month with no deposit, 37 months, 8,725 pounds. It's borderline too much at that level, meaning over the course of three years, you'd have to spend 1,700 on, on the interest payments. And that is borderline too much. If you do higher purchase, however, £229 a month for 36 months, and that's, yeah, £229 for that. But the key here, if you do a higher purchase, you only pay £8,200. So you pay £1,200 premium over three years, meaning for £800 in interest every year. But that, with peace of mind of seven years warranty, I think is an incredibly good shout for what is a lovely looking, completely proven bike. We always talk about used bikes, or I do anyway. Parts, availability, the frustration and the infuriation with my Bonneville. It's missed the whole summer now, I know that for a fact. My, mon my Bonneville will miss the whole summer. But looking at the Suzuki, it's been around for so long now. And that engine's in different bikes as well. They're, they're using the same engine for lots of different bikes. And that means that parts will be far, far more readily available than the Bonneville. And there's another huge bonus as well. It's a great looking bike and a tantalizing package. And I'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much, everyone, for watching this week's episode. Please do continue to comment and share your thoughts. It's hugely appreciated. Have a fantastic week, and I'll speak to you in the next one.